How is it that we can be in a country today on this Independence Day weekend that has so much familiarity about who Jesus is, so much proximity to Jesus today, millions of people, perhaps 100 million or more people coming to a church today, something close to words about Jesus, ideas about Jesus, songs about Jesus. And yet today in this country, there seems to be so little effect of what that knowledge, that closeness, that proximity to Jesus actually brings about in human lives. We are here in a country today that if you look at statistics would say that about two-thirds of Americans, two of every three people you meet identify as Christians. They identify as followers of Jesus Christ. And anywhere from a quarter to upwards of 40% identify as born-again Christians, people who have been born again by the Spirit of God. I mean, just think about those numbers. We're talking about hundreds of millions of people who profess to be near to Jesus Christ. And yet, look at our country. Look at the evil that predominates far too often in our country. Look at the lack of any true power that comes along with those so often who are professing to be close to Jesus? What is it about their connection to him, about their contact to him, that is leaving them entirely powerless, in which the life of Jesus Christ is not seen in them? Well, I think we have at least a partial answer to this question in the wonderful passage that we are coming to today. We are coming back to our studies in the Gospel of Mark after a couple weeks, one by my absence and one by a different topic for Father's Day that we took up. We're back moving through the Gospel of Mark. And we're here today on one of the most wonderful, touching stories that involves Jesus in all of the Gospels. You probably at least are generally familiar with the story, but if not, there was a woman And she had a very significant condition. Our our Bible describes it as an issue of blood. This was a hemorrhage. It was a menstrual problem. It was something that she had in, in a condition that had been existing for 12 years. And this woman who had suffered so much, and we'll learn a little bit more about exactly what she had suffered, not even physically, but societally and ceremonially, This woman decides, she hears of Jesus, our Bible says, and she says a very interesting thing. She says, verse 28, if I may touch but his clothes, I just have to touch his clothes, I shall be whole. And scripture tells us that as she went behind him and just touched, just grasped the hem of his garment, this may have been the tassels, one of the tassels that Jewish men would wear in keeping with the Old Testament law. She just grasped the tassel, and instantaneously, immediately, she knew that she was healed. That condition, that flow of blood was ceased, and she knew she was better. But what's so fascinating about it is how Jesus responds. 
Jesus wants to make sure that she understands what has just happened. So he begins, he turns and begins scanning the crowd. Can you just see him in your mind's eye? The entire procession, the entire crowd stops because Jesus stops. And he turns around and he starts looking. And he says, who touched my clothes? And again, the disciples say something so interesting, but so logical. Jesus, they say. You see the multitude thronging you. The idea here is jostling you. The entire crowd of hundreds, if not more, of these people are jostling you. And you're saying who touched you? Everyone touched you. Everyone touched you. And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. She told him the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And he said unto her, listen to this, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. My simple premise today is this. There are all kinds of people who will come close to Jesus there are all kinds of people who will touch Jesus in some way, but there is only one kind of person who will take from Jesus. There is only one kind of person who will not just draw close to him in proximity, but who ultimately will receive his power into their own lives. And it is the example of this woman, your faith has made you whole that I want to meditate on together for a few moments today. The title of the message is simply, The Touch of Faith. The Touch of Faith. And I want to ask all of us today, are you coming near to Jesus like so many of us in our United States of America today? Or are you touching him by faith to take of his power for your own life? Let's understand three things about this woman that will help direct and shape our thoughts here this morning. The first is this. Let's look at the severity of her condition. The severity of her condition, shall we? Let's see what our scripture says about this from Mark chapter 25. What is the context? Jesus has just come back across the Sea of Galilee where he healed the man that was full of demons. You remember the story of this man who had a legion perhaps hundreds of demons infesting him. And Jesus had sent those demons out of him. They had gone into these pigs, these swine. They had run down and been killed. And the people of that land had come to Jesus and they'd said, please leave. That was the exact opposite of what they should have said. They should have said, please stay. But that's not surprising, is it? Think of all the people in our world today whose reaction to Jesus and to the power that he has in the lives of others, freeing them, liberating them from their chains of sin, from their slavery, and their response is, no thanks, leave. That's, that's actually a common reaction to Jesus. And now Jesus comes back over to the other side, to the Capernaum side, on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. And now he's coming, and there is a crowd again following him as there always would be. And we see in verse 21 and onward that a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue. What does this mean? He was the synagogue official. He would be like an elder of the synagogue someone who would help oversee the synagogue, make sure everything was done orderly and in a good and a proper fashion according to the Old Testament law, this man came and fell down before Jesus. Now we'll look at this more next week because this is really a miracle within a miracle. We'll look at the one miracle. 
He falls down in humility before Jesus, so different from the religious elite of that day. He tells them about his 12-year-old girl who is at the point of death, and he's saying, Jesus, just come, please, and you can heal her. And Jesus just goes. He just is heading toward that man's house. Can you imagine how everyone would have been attracted by that? They knew who Jesus was. They knew the miracles that he'd been performing. And now this, this very significant, prominent official comes, falls down before him and says, I got a severe case for you. My daughter's at the point of death. And Jesus just starts going. Can you imagine how the crowd would have swelled? Hey, I'd be interested in seeing this too. You're saying he can heal this 12-year-old girl? Let's go. And so the whole procession moves. You can just imagine the swell of that crowd. I've told you, I think, the story before. I was in Times Square in New York City. And I'll, I'll never forget a door. One of the doors opens up, and I don't even remember what it was, but someone marches out of this one door, and he had an incredibly striking resemblance to a man named Kelvin Broadus. Now, if you don't know who Kelvin Broadus is, you might know him by the name Snoop Dogg. I have never seen the magnitude, literally, just imagine Times Square just suddenly, whoom, descending around him. It wasn't Snoop Dogg. Apparently, it was someone who just likes dressing up like Snoop Dogg because he looks so much like him. I don't know why, but I guess he likes the celebrity. What, just imagine Jesus moving toward this man's house and just the crowd coming together. And then what do we see? Notice verse 25. A certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years. We said this was some kind of menstrual disorder, some kind of condition that, at, that was her hemorrhaging and it was not allowing her to be healed. Now notice verse 26, and had suffered many things of many physicians. Many doctors had taken the time to try to heal her and she had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered but rather grew worse. So just think about this from this woman's perspective. For 12 years, she's had this particular condition. She has spent all her money going to doctors, but she is not getting any better. She is getting worse. Now this shouldn't be surprising. In fact, doctors had no ability to cure things before the late 19th century because they didn't know how disease worked. We think even of the founding of our country when people were using, doctors were using leeches to suck blood away from the affected area. And you say, that doesn't work. No, that's not doing anything. Of course they couldn't heal her. In fact, though, the Talmud, which is a source that, that postdates Jesus, that comes after him, but gives you some idea of the ideas of the day, the rabbis there suggested all kinds of different cures to heal this kind of condition. And you should hear how absurd some of them are. It, they would literally be along the lines of, take these, take some rubber, take some this, take some that, and put it in some wine and drink it and say, be cured of your flux. That's not going to work. Others said that you've got to boil up some onions, some certain kind of thing, Persian onions in wine, and then you give it to her, and then... That'll do the trick. Well, of course not. But here this woman, this poor woman suffering so much, had gone to all these physicians, had spent all her money and was not better. But here's the key part of it. The worst part of this woman's condition was not physical. We miss this because we're not always ingrained in our Bible and in the context. The Old Testament law says that a woman who had this condition was ceremonially unclean. If anyone touched her when she was having this flow, 
they would be unclean for seven days. You can imagine. Some have suggested this would have certainly caused her husband to divorce her, her family to stay away from her. You can imagine her not being allowed to come into the synagogue lest she touch someone and render them ceremonially unclean. This is akin to being a leper, and I think we're probably more familiar with the prohibitions around leprosy. This woman having an uncurable flow of blood that made her ceremonially unclean and entirely isolated and separated, not only from society, not only from her family, but from the religious life of the entire people. This woman was desperate. For 12 years, she was economically impoverished. She was physically absolutely exhausted. The anemia that would have come just from that condition alone would have rendered her very weak. And then the ceremonially un- ceremonial uncleanness that would have put, pushed her aside from any, everyone else. Let's put yourself in that condition, what she had been experiencing. Now listen not only to the severity of her condition, but then to the significance, I'm going to call it, of her contact with Christ. I want you to think about this for just a moment. And it says in verse 27, when she had heard of Jesus, she came in the press, in the crowd behind, and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. I'm going to be healed. Can you picture in your mind's eye? Imagine if you're just standing on the outside of that crowd just observing. You've got Jesus right in the center. You've got dozens, if not hundreds, of people surrounding him. And then you notice one woman. And she's moving furtively. She's, maybe her shoulders are slumped over a little bit. She looks weak. She looks tired. And she's just trying to pick her way through the crowd. Excuse me. Excuse me. By the way, everyone she's touching, she's rendering ceremonially unclean. Bumping through the crowd, getting through here, getting up. And then you watch her and watch her and watch her. And suddenly she gets right behind Jesus and she just reaches out quick and touches it and lets go. But then I wonder if you can picture her in your mind's eye. What look came across her face when she realized what happened? What look would have come on your face? Instantaneously, inside Listen to what happens. Verse 29, and straightway, immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up. That flow just stopped. She felt it. And she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Can you imagine? Was it a smile that came over her face? Was it a a look of shock? Was it a tear that came to her eye? How would you have responded? 12 years, 12 years of this. And instantaneously, you're better. But now keep on watching and seeing how Jesus just immediately stops. He stops. He turns around. He says, who touched my clothes? Now imagine being that woman. Whoops! I mean, you're used to being on the outcast. You're used to being on the outside. I wonder if she wondered whether Jesus was going to be upset with her. You've made me ceremonially unclean, woman. You've made me... No, she didn't make Jesus ceremonially unclean. He made her clean. He transferred his power to her. Look at verse 30. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him. The idea of this word is the Greek word dunamis. It's the word from which we get dynamite. The idea is he knew that power had gone out of him. He had sensed it. You say, what is that like? I've got no idea. 
I mean, seriously, can you imagine being Jesus and you just feel that divine power has come out of you to heal someone and you turn around and you want to know, you say, who? Now, did Jesus actually not know who this was? Some preachers believe that Jesus didn't actually know who this woman was. That seems unlikely to me. I think he did. But I want us to notice something. He turns around and he says, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the multitude jostling you and thronging you, and you're saying who touched me? They say everyone is touching you. But again, notice the significance of this. Everyone was touching him, but only one took from him. Everyone was coming close to him, but only one truly drew near to receive from him. Everyone was jostling him, but only one was truly receiving from him. What is going on here? Notice Jesus wants to draw this out. And verse 32 tells us, he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. He kept on looking. Can't you just see him looking at each face around him? Just looking. And I wonder how long it took until he locked eyes with that woman. He looked straight at her. And she knew the gig was up. She couldn't hide anymore. Jesus knew. And listen to what happened. The woman fearing and trembling. Can you just imagine this poor woman who had suffered so much and would knew that Jesus had healed her? What, why was she so scared? Was it just because of embarrassment and shame? Or was it because she couldn't believe how powerful Jesus truly was? Do you remember when Jesus stilled the storm? We looked at that a few weeks ago in the book of Mark. What did the disciples do? They were just overcome with fear. What kind of man is this? This woman seems to have recognized the incredible divine power and just utterly quaking in her boots in such awe of this power. She comes and she falls down before him and told him all the truth. All kinds of people touching him. One woman taking from him. And that's why we need to see not just the severity of her condition, not just the significance of her contact, but finally the source of her cure. What happened? What happened? Notice. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Your faith has made you better. Your faith healed you. Now stop for just a minute right there. Was it really her faith that healed her? Is this a story about the power of positive thinking, of belief, of conviction? If you believe it, you can do anything you want. No, just I'll give you a thought experiment. Imagine if this woman had been logic, reasoning out what she wanted to do, and she said, you know, Jesus is busy. I don't know that he's going to be the one I should go talk to, but you know what? That guy Simon Peter right there, he looks like he's kind of the boss of the other disciples. He looks like he's a, a leader there. And I bet he's got a lot of power too. You know what? I believe that if I go to Simon Peter and I just touch the hem of his clothes, I'm going to be healed. I believe it with all my heart. And she went up behind Simon Peter and touched the hem of his garment. Do you think she would have been healed? Absolutely not. In other words, this is not telling us that, the, that her faith was the source of her power. It wasn't the source of her power. Her faith in and of itself was empty. It was ineffective unless her faith connected her to the true source of power. Who was the one who had the power? Jesus. 
the one who with his word created the heavens and the earth. The one who by his word brought everything into his existence. The one who scripture tells us now is holding everything together with the word of his power. The one who has an inexhaustible supply of dunamis, of power, of virtue, of life to bring into our brokenness and deadness. He was the source of power. So what's the point here? The point is simply this. Her faith healed her, not because it was the source of her power, but because it connected her to the power source, Jesus Christ. And Jesus wants to bring out from her this testimony of her faith. Why did he call her out? Why did he make her come forward and tell the truth in front of everything? The sordid, shameful details to her of her own medical condition. Why did he expose her in front of everyone instead of just going quietly along her way? Well, we could say at least for one thing, it would assure her that she had been cured. That was one very gracious thing of Jesus. She would never have to worry again. Do I have to worry about this coming back? Was this just something temporary? No, Jesus says, no, you've been healed. Daughter, go. It also would have done this. For a woman who had been isolated from society for 12 years, he would have, in his compassion, been making sure that everyone knew she was better now. She could be welcomed back in the community. But I think there's even one thing that's even more important. He wanted to tell her and not just her, but everyone in the crowd, and not just everyone in the crowd, but us. He wanted to tell her that faith is the only way that one comes into contact with the power of Jesus Christ to transform their lives. He wanted to show us that it's not enough to be near Jesus if you are not taking from Jesus. It is not even enough to come into contact with him unless that contact is bringing about his power into your life. Friends, think of all those who were touching Jesus in that crowd. Some were touching him with a touch of curiosity. Oh, there's another miracle? Let's see if we're gonna be a witness to it. Let's go. And how many people are filling churches this morning simply out of curiosity? They're interested in this whole Christianity thing. Maybe it will work for them. Maybe there's something that they can learn from this whole experience. That touch of curiosity is not the touch that brings the power of Jesus Christ. Think about the other people in that crowd. There was the touch of familiarity. There were those who were just used to being around Jesus. Maybe even his own disciples. Don't forget that Judas Iscariot would have been a part of this crowd who ultimately betrayed him. And how much is true of that? in our modern church today, the people who come to church on Sunday morning just because they've always come to church. They come to sing the same songs and listen to the same scripture preached. Why? Because their family is. Because they simply are familiar with the rituals, familiar with the ideas. There is something comforting about it. But that kind of person will never take from Christ. That kind of person will never receive of his power for their own lives. And you could have gone through this crowd over and over. What about the people who, whose nearness to Christ was about status? I'm closest to him. I'm part of the crowd that's right next to him. Can you imagine people elbowing to get closer to him? Like you elbow to be around a celebrity in, the, in, in, in wherever you're going. 
And whether that's true today, we see it the same thing. Churches that grow simply because it's the cool thing, simply because they want to be around someone who's important, who's well-known, who's a celebrity. We've seen it in, in the news. Those people will never take from Jesus. Those people will never receive his power because there's only one thing that truly takes of the power of Jesus, and that's faith. Your faith, your faith has brought that touch to taking of my power. That's why we should pause for just a moment and say, what was it about her faith? How was it faith? Do you notice there's something that seems almost superstitious about what she did? You know, Jesus never healed someone like this. He never did. This woman had no example to draw from. Oh, I just got to go touch his clothes and I'm going to be whole. It seems like her faith wasn't completely educated. She could have just come right in front of him and said, Jesus, I need to be healed. Her faith wasn't a perfect faith. It wasn't a complete faith. It wasn't a fully informed faith. But do you know what it was? It was an intentional faith. And friends, this is the key that I want to bring out for us today. That faith must be intentional It is not the kind of faith that hangs back. It is the kind of faith that moves forward. It is not the kind of belief that allows us simply to draw close to someone. It is the kind of faith that causes us to go to Christ and grab him, to embrace him, to say, your power is connected to my need. My suffering needs to take of your sufficiency. My poverty needs to take of your riches, and so I come. Now, one of the most important things that we can take from this today, my friend, on this Independence Day weekend, today you may be here in church and you may call yourself a Christian. If a pollster were to call you up and say, what faith are you? You would say, I'm a Christ follower, I'm a Christian. You may even answer that request by saying, I'm born again, I'm born again. But friends, my question to you this morning is not whether you're here today because you're comfortable to be here, not because you've always been here, not whether you've grown up learning about the things that we talk about here, but my question is this, have you ever reached out to Jesus Christ and taken him by faith? Have you ever intentionally, by faith, saw him as the only answer to your sin problem, as the only one who by his death on the cross has given you the forgiveness of your sins eternally and a hope of eternal life? Have you taken of him or have you only come close to him? Have you only been part of the crowd jostling around him but not truly receiving from him? Oh, what a terrifying thing it would be to come one day to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and to tell him, I I went to church so often. I was around you. I listened to your words. I was part of the crowd that was going along beside you. And for him to look at us and to say, but I never knew you. You never came to take from me by faith. Friends, today, today, on this Independence Day weekend, if you've never taken of Jesus by faith, just like this woman, simply coming to him to receive from him. Today's the day to do that. Today's the day to be saved and to receive the forgiveness of your sins. But there's one more thing. I'm convinced that this lesson on faith is not just for those who have never come to Christ. Because the truth of the matter, friends, is that every single day of your Christian life requires this kind of faith. 
The Apostle Paul told us that we are to walk by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. Faith involves not just coming near to Christ, but taking from him, trusting him. And do you know this is true for every bit of your spiritual life? Paul said this in Galatians 2 and verse 20. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Do you know the very power of Jesus Christ, his nature, his character, his life is in you if you're a Christian? And every single day it needs to be received by you afresh to follow and live the way that he wants you to live? Do you know that when you are feeling frustrated and you are feeling irritated and you are at your wit's end, do you know the power of Christ in his patience can be yours when you claim it by faith? Do you know when you are absolutely fed up with those at your workplace or in your neighborhood and you can't possibly think of loving them in that moment, the love of Christ can be yours when you claim it by faith? You see, this is nothing mysterious. It is simply walking by faith. Or as Paul says in Galatians again, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. It is to receive the power of Jesus Christ in his very nature, in his life, in his power to enable you to live the kind of life that he lives. You see, the Christian life is not about gritting your teeth and trying harder. You can try everything by human willpower, but you'll never live your Christian life until you start trusting Jesus. Day after day after day, moment after moment after moment. And friends, this week, if you want to live the way that Jesus wants you to live, if you want to live in the full experience of his power, it's going to look moment by moment claiming living in the reality, depending on the power of Jesus Christ to enable you to live his life through you and to experience the power of the Holy Spirit that will enable you to defeat the devil, that will enable you to conquer your own temptations and to live in the power that he gives you. You see, there's such a wonderful lesson here. There is such a wonderful connection to faith. The kind of faith that is not about coming close to Jesus. The kind of faith that is taking from Jesus. Friend, are you touching Jesus by faith today? Are you coming into connection with the one who can distinguish between those who jostle him out of curiosity, out of pride, out of familiarity, and the ones who reach out intentionally and grasp him by faith? My prayer this morning is that on this Independence Day weekend, you and I both would come into a fresh experience of what it means to touch Jesus by faith and therefore to take of his fullness. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you this morning for the power of Jesus Christ, that endless reservoir of love, of grace, of compassion, of life. Thank you for this woman. Oh, how we'll love to meet her one day, to hear from her the testimony of how instantaneously the power of Christ transformed her. 
And Jesus wants us to know that it was her faith. And so, Father, I pray that even this morning, you would open our eyes of faith to see Jesus. Oh, if I only may take from him, I will be whole. I pray for that one here today who has never taken the forgiveness of their sins. They have never taken a new life. They have never taken an eternal future by faith. Oh, may they see Jesus, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that no man comes to the Father but by him, that his grace, his love is sufficient for all of their sin, for all of their brokenness.